0: This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3051 for Monday, the 13th of April 2020. Today's show is entitled The COVID 19 Work from Home Stream, Day 2. It is hosted by Thaj Sarah and is about 43 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is A few HPR characters decide to spend some of their social distancing time being social.
1: It's another wonderful day here in paradise.
2: <laughs> I guess if that's how you want to go about it,
1: yeah, for sure. How's your uh, OBS video going?
2: Oh, I knocked that out pretty quick. Um, it went out yesterday, so hopefully people are using it.
1: Have you thought about uh, pulling just the audio of that? And, well, are you able to pull just the audio of that and then publish it as an HBR show?
2: Uh, I mean, I could. It would be. Um, it's real visual because I'm like, go over here to this corner and do this. So I don't know if that it, – it would probably just be better off to to redo it and try to do it more audio-ish.
1: What about just like publishing it to uh, YouTube? You fell off there at the end. Sorry. Um. What about just uh, – can you just publish it to YouTube?
2: I could. The only problem is I think the way that because of my work, we have to track the – the actual use of it. They're doing it through the university's system. So I'm not sure how cool they would be with me posting it elsewhere.
1: Okay. So it's uh, the way you have it. The way the video is structured is geared more towards uh, connecting directly into the uh, school servers. Well, it's not
2: even that. It's just that, um, I don't know, it, it, it sounds like terribly proprietary but because i created it for the program they want it to stay in the program's stuff so every time somebody accesses it and watches it they can keep metrics on it to prove that the grant is doing a thing so putting it out in the public sphere would kind of hijack that Uh, i got i don't think they would care if i did something similar and put it out publicly like my boss wouldn't care. <laughs> but um if I did like just the same video, that
1: would probably be a no no. Gotcha. How's uh, the Python learning coming along?
2: So far so good. Just uh keep hacking away at things. That's been uh the, the the go of it. I'm still kinda at the point where it's all stuff I remember. It's just I haven't done it in a long time, so just getting it back into my brain is helpful. Um I'm hoping I get to something more interesting soon because i'm kind of getting tired of doing it
1: so if you have to teach this have you come up with uh anything besides just the you know obligatory hello world to help teach
2: yeah i'm not sure that's one of the things that we're um actually i'm probably gonna have to in a little bit jump into a meeting about it is how the State Department of Education wants things to go and kind of what their curriculum is based on the standards that they created and go from there. I know what – so one of the schools I'm in currently has computer science, but it was just the, – the school offered it just because they could. They had somebody who could teach it. And I've been looking at their stuff and looking at the standards, and it doesn't quite match up. As a matter of fact, the, the computer science that's being taught now is actually a little more – um, thorough than what the state is asking for. Um, so it's, it's going to be depend a lot on what they want and then I can sort of build the curriculum and then meet with my team and decide how, um, how much we want to, uh, to handhold how much we want to be remote instruction, how much we want to have um, in-person instruction, how much we want to have, like uh, we've even toyed around with the idea of sprints, like having statewide sprints on projects. And that would teach kids how to use things like Git and how to do contributor programs and stuff like that. So it's all sort of up in the air at this point. Um, but I'm hoping whatever I can create, I can kind of reverse engineer and make public outside sort of sort of the same situation we're here in now with the other video i'll have to make this stuff for the state but then i could probably make whatever i want and just make it public and it, it essentially be sort of the same thing
1: that sounds like a very difficult task because it it seems like with python programming that there's a lot of different directions you can go with it you know whether it's um you know uh like pygame or using it to as opposed to or with bash to uh to automate stuff um Without any sort of uh, general direction to start off with, it seems like it's it would be difficult to form a path to of learning, both for you and for the kids.
2: Yeah, that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> it's, it's just going to be hard. I mean, the beginning stuff is going to be easy, no matter what. It's like, how do you write? Um, how do you set a variable? How do you write an if statement? How do you you know just the basics of programming? And in a classroom setting, that's going to take you know probably a couple of weeks it's something that you and i can sit down and do in person in probably a day but just because of the the structure of things it'll take a little longer in a classroom and going from there it's like what do, does the state want how do they want are are they just going to say do whatever you want to do and maybe it looks different at different schools depending on what the kids want to do then we kind of have to have either my team is going to have to decide a direction and we just go that direction. Um, or, you know, we'll have to make multiple directions. So m- different schools with different priorities can kind of go down those paths. Um, and that's where I'm going to wind up calling in sort of the actual computer science people at the university to help me out um, doing it. It's just I'm the only person on our team that has any computer sense whatsoever. So this kind of just got dumped on my plate.
1: That's kind of scary that you were the only one with any real computer sense.
2: Well, I mean, it's our entire team is just run by educators, so it's not, you know, they're all brilliant people. They're, they're very intelligent. It's just as far as the computer thing, that's not their, um, it's not their thing. Uh, (laughs) so it's, it's more on me. I'm, I'm the guy that just kind of came in with that knowledge and there are other agencies doing pretty much the same thing that we're doing. Um, and I'm actually working with a couple of them to sort of coordinate a little bit to where our things match up and, uh, stuff. But once again, because I'm under a grant, we want to provide it, that service too to make ourselves mm, marketable and valuable to the state. And so um, I'm going to wind up just kind of redoing a lot of what other people are doing. And we're doing our own spin. but I want to make it at least different enough to where it's worth doing.
1: I kind of feel like there's an interesting gap when it comes to uh, computer knowledge of that those there's a large group of people who know nothing about computers who like the whole uh computer age just kind of pass them by and they just kind of think of them as that like magic box that that does stuff and they don't want to do anything and every time they touch like i don't know i think i broke it and then you have the kids today who like pick up things like programming like nobody's business granted i think i think a lot of them are being oh
2: there you are plumbled.
1: there you are Plumble just completely crashed on me. <laughs> I'm sitting here talking. Next to you I know, I look down and it's just the home screen for my phone. I'm like, oh, what the hell?" yeah you're,
2: um, eh, you're not the first person to say that.
1: you're the first person. Really, I've never had problems with Plumble.
2: It's it's one of those things that it seems like it either works or it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it spectacularly doesn't work.
1: How far did make it?
2: Anyways, talking about what you were talking about when you dropped off, um, I. I, I see it a little differently because I work with kids every day. That same uh, sort of dichotomy between people who know and people who don't know and people who are willing to learn and people who aren't willing to learn, that happens in kids, too. There's some kids that are just like, oh, my God, I'm not touching anything because I broke it. And there's some kids who just like coding is like breathing to them. It's um, I, I, I see it less generationally than I do just people who have a knack for it and people who don't.
1: Yeah, that's probably true.
2: Like one of the things we've been doing the last uh, about the, actually the second half of the school year so far is we've been working with this robotic system with a bunch of kids, and we get a pretty good cross section of kids of different kind of abilities that come to our after school stuff, and um, some kids like they love the robot part, like the actual mechanical part. They don't want to touch the code. I've got some kids that just all they want to do all day long is code. And I've got some kids don't want to do either. They're just like, oh my God, this is the most boring thing in the world.
1: In my opinion, that sounds incredibly fun to uh, code for a robot.
2: It is. Um, I I, I kind of hit the place where some of our, ki- our, our kids who are a little more into it, um, just because of the system that we bought um uh, the level that it's at, it's pretty quick to hit a wall of like, oh, I can't really do a whole lot more than what I've already done. Um so I had some kids that within a month, they were like, yeah, I think I've pushed this about as far as I can go. And they're not wrong. Uh there's not a whole lot more. And that's it's basically just because of the maturity of the system. There's just not a lot in the API to to be able to do with it besides, you know, moving directions.
1: Well that stinks. Yeah, it's one
2: of the there's this big um gulf i think at work between uh me and everybody else my my base instinct is let's just buy a bunch of parts and these kids build their own robots and they learn how things actually work and um for me that's easy because it's it's in my wheelhouse and i'm like okay i can do that but i have to account for all the other schools that have other directors who are not as savvy with it as me. And so they get mad. They just want something that comes in a box with instructions that they don't have to actually work with. Not because they don't, they don't want to. It's just, it's so far outside their, their ideas. Um, of how to do things that they, they just, they can't comprehend it. And I, I think that kind of does a disservice. We, we also wind up spending a ton of money on these prepackaged things instead of just buying parts and doing it ourselves. Like these robotic systems that we're, we bought are like almost a grand a piece. And it's probably $50, $60 worth of parts to build the same exact thing with, you know, just a, a really nice injection molded case. That's really all it is.
1: That's crazy, but I can understand what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, it's, it, I, I feel a lot of times like the thing that would be best for the kids and the thing that would be best for our programs is held back by the people who work for the program <laughs> and what they're comfortable with.
1: I feel off saying this because I don't want to be mean to the, to the, those teachers. But at the same time, I think if you're going to be involved with an after school program that's or, or just a program that teaches robotics, you got to kind of throw yourself completely into it, don't you?
2: Uh, you would think that. The problem was, is when they tried to staff this program, or at least my understanding of when they tried to staff this program, uh, they they basically had to beg me to come on board. Um, it was very difficult to find people who would join the program.
1: I can see that. Are you still working uh, on that project with the MIT?
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> not for anything. I, I did uh, the program just sort of uh, they've got because they were part of mit media lab uh that all fell apart when all the jeffrey epstein stuff (laughs) kind of happened and then uh there were other things i think the program still technically exists um but it basically everybody that i know that worked there besides one person is gone because they were just like we are not associating with this program anymore
1: well that sucks incredibly
2: yeah i basically got an email from my executive director and a couple phone calls. It's like, yeah, pull the plug. We're done. We're not associating with them. We'll strip everything that says we were ever associated with them out of anything because uh, there's too much drama involved around them right now.
1: That means no more trips to Boston either.
2: Yeah, now that does suck because um, <laughs> I, I did actually enjoy that part of it, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, I, I can't go to Boston. I guess whenever I want. True,
1: but this gave you an excuse
2: it did and it was really i like i i legitimately liked hanging out there it was it was a cool place um but you know <laughs> things come things go i guess
1: yep so what do you think the chances are that they try shutting everything down
2: <sighs> i don't know i i mean the pragmatist in me says they probably should <laughs> but um it's going to uh, they i don't live in a world where i don't see how hard that's going to be for a a wide variety of people um so it's 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 hard like how do you tell people who can't not do these things to to just stop doing everything
1: i mean just the fact that they've closed down um you know the mandatory closed down of just restaurants and bars is hurting tons of people
2: oh i know like there there's um well i mean because i work with teenagers a lot and so um that's how most of them make money, but they don't need money to survive. But you'd be surprised how many of their parents do the same thing. And, you know, how do you, how do you survive if you can't work for a month? That's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, even, even small things like your situation, where it's like, what happens when we don't have state subsidized childcare? all day every day um that becomes an issue even for people who have good jobs and it's it's just kind of a mess we we had never had a backup plan for this
1: no i mean no one really ever thought that it would like this would happen but we kind of have a backup plan sort of i mean we can we can i think as a country we have a backup the country has kind of a plan and then at the same time um individuals don't necessarily have a plan for this
2: yeah that's kind of an uh i won't say argument that was a discussion that we were having uh yesterday i think on oddcast planet and it was you know it's not that hard to prepare for something like this if you just thought about it ahead of time or you know just somebody made the comment like we'll just go buy every time you go to the store buy like an extra thing of beans or buy a thing of rice and I I kind of chimed in I I didn't mean it to be kind of, it started a whole thing and I f- feel bad for it now, but it's like, I'm not that far away. Like two years ago, I didn't have enough money to buy the food we needed, let alone to buy extra. And I know a, a drastic part of the population is in the same position um, to where even if you had the wherewithal to think to have done it, um, you didn't have the resources to do it. Um, and so that's, Yeah. There's just a lot of blaming people for not being prepared for it. And it's like some people just didn't have the the way to do it. I'm thinking even like people in big cities like, okay, you live in an apartment in New York. How are you going to store extra food? Like you may not even have the ability to cook. In your in your apartment, like you may have to go out and eat every meal just because that's where you are. Um, it's it's easy for people in certain areas and at certain socioeconomic levels to be like, oh, well, th- this is easy. This is a no brainer. And they just don't consider other possibilities out there.
1: Right. And the so I was talking with my store manager because we were we kind of get the feeling like um Something is coming down the road soon that's going to be drastic, like shutting everything down. Like uh, uh, people are hearing rumblings from uh, people who are in, um, you know, um, military. I'm trying to think of the reserves and stuff, uh, you know, people getting called up that, you know, they're they're all trying to get some sort of plan going for a just-in-case type of a deal. And in our line of work, we're kind of, we're kind of a necessity. So we technically can't close down, but like, what is, what, how do we adjust to this situation of, you know, everything else is closed down except for us. How do we, how do we adjust for that?
2: Yeah. There's, there's not going to be a pretty solution to anything. I think it's always going to be kind of clutched together. Um I I I think it's kind of good that the military is preparing for things because, it, like I said the other day, I, I'm, I'm scared it could get ugly. I don't want it to get ugly. I hope that we get it sorted out before then. But um, having them on hand I don't think is a bad thing. But I, I know a bunch of people are like, oh, they're going to declare martial law. That is never going to happen in the United States. Like it just won't. <laughs> There's no – it could be uh, literally like Mad Max happening on the streets and they still would not try to – do martial law just because our military is not capable of deploying and controlling the geographic regions that are the united states like it's just that's infeasible at every level they may do it in strategic places but i don't see them doing that across the country
1: that's true but i mean and I, i i follow the same boat as you i don't think they enforce martial law but like what would be the difference between enforcing martial law and just basically shutting absolutely everything down? Uh,
2: quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> on paper. Fair yeah.
1: enough. Yeah. I mean, they can – unless the martial law would be – probably they, they they would force people to stay in their own home. Yeah,
2: yeah but you can do that without declaring yeah, martial
1: law. <laughs> martial gets, what's
2: that? I said you can actually do that without declaring martial law. Like all you have to do is say the military's is coming in to reinforce local police and – you know the local police and the civic government are in control of the military at that point. They they basically become the the commanders on the ground. At least for my my understanding of it, um, martial law would be all power is centralized to the military. The military and military commanders then become uh, they they over they take over the civic government um, and they run it themselves instead of they still if they're just helping the police force, they still take their orders from the civic government.
1: Uh, that would probably happen a lot more than martial law.
2: Yeah, for sure. I I think that that's the most likely. And and to be completely honest, I think that's probably useful is saying, hey, we have extra resources, tell us where you need us to help. And um, you know, sort of a more decentralized way of doing it. Uh, it's probably better. Like they probably don't need to roll out the national guard in my town. Uh, most people seem to be doing what they're asked to do. And you know, it's not a big deal. And I, I think probably the local police can handle any issues that are not um, where a bigger city, they probably might need some backup. Definitely. You're lighting up, but nothing is coming through.
1: Good Lord. I heard um, that. I heard that. <laughs> um uh, what, what what is going to be the thing that that tips the scale in either direction at this point i mean is it i don't think they're going to find a cure for it so are we just gonna pull a china and then just shut the we're just right now slowly shutting everything down you know let people prepare make them fully aware and then shut everything down for the two three weeks to till we make sure that everybody has it as has it and then there I mean what's what's going to tip the scale in either direction at this point?
2: Uh probably just how well our medical system is handling the burden. Um so like right now I think the reason that that stuff hasn't happened is because if you um there was who was the guy? Um he's a mathematician, I want to say it, Stanford. He did um Sort of a data analysis of like staying below the threshold of like what our medical system is able to handle in any given time, and so like if you look at Italy, that's the problem. They let it go so long that there are so many cases that their medical system is completely overwhelmed. They cannot keep up with the, um, the amount of people who are coming in with symptoms uh, to where what we've done apparently, you know, has at least squashed the curve enough to where we're underneath that threshold. I think if we go above that threshold, that's where things would get nastier or not even nastier, just more restricted than they are. Funnily enough, I think if the food supply situation gets hammered out to where, um, like you were talking about yesterday, like things just not being able to be reordered or th- things just aren't able to keep up, if they can get enough lean time built into that system to where people can go to the store and get what they need and go home, uh, I I think they can avoid all that stuff. It's just, that's not what the system was built for. So it's, you know, can we retrofit it to be that quick enough?
1: I don't know. I think the the, the scary thing is, is it has, I think, now been a week since, uh, well, a little over a week since uh, the governor of Lisa, Massachusetts called um, a state of emergency. So, I mean, that's when things first started panicking here, and it feels like it's been a lot longer than that.
2: Yeah, no, this has been like the longest week ever, <laughs> for sure. And I'm saying that I hate being home. Like, I if I'm in one spot more than eight hours not sleeping, I get antsy. So being stuck here for multiple days is not, uh, not conducive to my mental well-being. But, you know, it is what it is. And you just tough it out and get over it. Like, I'm one of the few people in the world that would kill to go back to work right now.
1: I'll trade with you. Yeah, for sure. I don't, want, I don't want your job, that's for sure. Yeah, it was – again, when I was talking with my uh, my store manager, he used to say something about how uh, there were some areas that um, they were only letting people – I don't sure if it was Italy or China where they were only letting a certain number of people into the grocery stores at a time. They would do like a uh, – they'd use one of those um, uh, little laser pointer type temperature uh, thermometers, which aren't very accurate, but – uh, on people through the door, ask them a few questions, and let them in. And they have a, only a certain amount of time to to shop and just get the hell on out. Um, that that would be very interesting to see happen.
2: Yeah, that's not very much the American temperament, but it may have to be. I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, you know. It's, we were talking about it yesterday. How does this change things going forward? Like maybe what we what we like and what we're used to just isn't feasible anymore. And we have to change whether, you know, it's because of this or just because, you know, that's the way things were going to be regardless. Eventually we're just getting ahead of the curve instead of being behind it. Um, and I don't know. That's that's bigger questions than, than I have the ability to answer or even accurately comprehend.
1: All right. No more virus. Okay. Who do you like in November?
2: Ay. aye, aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, going back to the, my uh, regrettable conversation on Matrix yesterday.
1: Yes, I saw that.
2: I I felt bad because I I always go into those situations trying to be cordial and trying to be friendly, and like I'm, I'm totally cool with everybody disagreeing. That's not the problem. It never fails. Somebody jumps in and just like goes to a thousand, and it's like I just pulled somebody into a conversation where they got beat up, and I feel bad about it.
1: I don't know, I think they are both batting a thousand there
2: i I don't know i i i realize that my my opinions are very different than most people's, and i'm I'm used to defending them and doing it in a way that is non hostile or at least tries to be non hostile I don't know if I pull it off. I may be a raging jackass and just don't know it.
1: well from my experience, you seem to be all right, or are you just as crazy as I am? Nope, just a bigger jackass
2: that is also a, a fair
1: yeah there's a there's a point where, like, after the previous election, I was all set for, like, whoever's there for the Libertarian Party is going to vote for. Because I like the kind of general idea of the liber- uh, Libertarian Party stands for. But it's a point where the Libertarian Party has come a little off the deep end. I'm not sure they even have a halfway decent candidate. Hell, Vermin Supreme is starting to look good right now.
2: Vermin Supreme always looks good.
1: Oh, my God. is he Is he fantastic or what?
2: I mean, I made the decision way back at the beginning of this that there was only one way, there was only one path to where I was even possibly going to participate in electoral politics this time. That path is effectively closed, so I'm just going to sit back and just watch the world, world burn at this point.
1: I, I, but I, my the only thing that will make me happy is if Trump is not in it anymore. And let me just preface that by saying. Everybody has their own view, political views about way he conducted business, blah, 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 blah. That's fine. If you take that out of it completely and just look at the way he acts, he cannot, for the life of him, act like the position that he holds. He can't act like a president. He's, he's-
2: See, you start talking about Trump, and you automatically get booted from the Hacker Public Radio Room. They got him.
1: That got me in the of
2: <laughs> I just made that joke. You start talking about our glorious leader. Um, you just disappear.
1: I don't agree with his politics, but I don't agree with a lot of other politicians politics, but just act like a president, you know, could act like a jackass.
2: I, you know, I, I would actually honestly be okay with being a jackass. If you did something different, like that's my ultimate problem. Every time I voted my entire adult life, nothing has changed like nothing of any substantial amount has changed from voting now that is also because i live in a deep red state and no matter how i vote it's never going to count because of the electoral college um but like every movement forward that has been worth doing was not made through politicians it was made through you know grassroots things that finally push politicians in the right direction but it was not the politicians that instigated the the change to begin with so i'm just at the point where i i'm just not voting anymore i'm not getting involved in it i'm not getting upset about it i'm just not doing it because it doesn't matter who gets voted in they're going to do the same thing they've been doing since reagan like nothing's going to change
1: that's that's a very fair point but um i don't know i'm also in the same book that if i feel like that if i don't vote then i don't have a right to bitch about things at least if i voted i can at least say hey i tried <laughs> and i failed
2: yeah i don't know it's more of a protest thing for me now the fact that i can vote and vote well and it's really i'm like double screwed because i live in a place where i'm really close to a town but i live outside of the town so therefore i'm not allowed to vote for anything in the town like literally me voting counts for nothing um just because of geographically where i live um so i it's just like well, why waste my day doing it anymore <laughs>
1: One more vote for Vermin Supreme. That's it.
2: If if we could do write-ins, I I would do it just for that. You could always do write ins I don't believe you can here. I have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure you can.
1: Well, I wrote myself in just about on uh, anything where I didn't see like any party that if anybody ran unopposed on anything on the ballot when I voted, I always wrote my own name in.
2: <laughs> that is a brilliant strategy. I love it. If you get two or three people to do it, you might actually win.
1: What I need to do is figure out who's running on a pose and then just get like a little poster of myself with the, with the thumbs up right by the voting booths. <laughs> Put my name and, like, and the any information that they need, to, they need what, name and address or something like that for a write-in. So just name and address a picture of me with like a thumbs up. Either that, just put, if you don't like who you're voting for, vote for this guy, and then put my name and information and in thumbs up.
2: <laughs> this guy, he has no opinions and no stances. He's just going to stand there and look good. And even that is subjective. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing about this election that um, because it's so been so much fighting, there are no third-party candidates, like none. Like nobody's even talking about running it that I'm aware of.
1: Well, there are third party candidates, but none of them any good. Well, they're obviously not going to get getting coverage. That's hands down. If it's not going to happen, then we're going to be allowed to be uh, debates. Uh, Rothro screwed that one up for everybody.
2: Yeah, I forget who was talking about it. And it was it was a thing that made sense to me. Um, it was the idea that, you know, if we could just completely redo elections, that it would. D- like the most fair thing to do would be kind of all the primary slash caucuses happen on the same day. Um, And it would work sort of like a caucus to where anybody who gets over a threshold of a certain number of supporters would be viable. And then you just vote and vote and vote and vote. And you just spend the whole day voting until you get to the last two and then it's over. And then those two people run Um, no, no protracted long, Bullshit that we go through now. Just get it all done in one day. Pick your two people and vote.
1: I'd like to take your idea modified to the point of just get rid of parties. Just get rid of parties and have people just stand on their own, you know, on their own, not with any sort of party, and then just you vote for those people and whoever. And then again, like you said, you could do primaries and then whoever is the top. Top two, top three, whatever the hell you want to do. Top four for the uh, for primaries, just to narrow it down from God knows how many other people are going to be there, because it's going to be one hell of a ballot if you put everybody on there. But just like, I don't care if it's the top freaking 20, just narrow it down, and out of that list, choose your top one.
2: It's the same reason that I think the electoral college is still a thing. Like, I think if they did an up-down vote of all the people in the United States— there would be no electoral college. <laughs> it would just go away because I think everybody just kind of intuitively knows that like that's kind of broken um, because it was invented to, um, to thwart the theory, the, the theory of sort of the he- hegemony of the minority uh, majority that, you know, the majority is always going to win just because that's what it is. And what it's turned into is the tyranny of the minority. The center of the country decides everything for, you know, where the population centers are um, and that, that, uh, that's going to be a problem no matter what. But I think the primaries and the way they're structured are the same way. Uh, you kind of see it. It's strategically brilliant. Like watching it from behind the scenes is uh, amazing. Is watching what happened to the Democratic primary. They flooded it with enough people to where somebody who was really popular and destructive to what the party was, was winning they just made phone calls and had enough people to drop out and lend their support to the candidate they really wanted, and it totally turned the tide in one day. Like they game the system in a brilliant way to just instantly shift it to what they wanted to happen. Um, you don't get that if the game is too simple.
1: That's fair. Um, I am horrible at What is the purpose of the party system? Why? Why is it? Why did it come about? And honestly, um, who cares?
2: I I don't know. I, I don't know, like going far enough back where it comes from. I do know that, like, as much as I hate authoritarian regimes, like a lot of this gets solved in a one party system because people inside the party just argue with each other. So you get de facto like coalitions inside of a singular party. So even when you get rid of parties, you still kind of get them. So it just, it it is what it is. I think it's just sort of human nature to band together in tribes that have at least somewhat similar goals. And I I think that's ultimately what a lot of the pressure um, in the two party system has been. I mean, you see during the Obama years and leading up to Obama, what kept the Republicans from winning was a far right faction that was withholding votes to um keep you know there there was sort of the tea party people on one side and there was sort of the main centrist republicans and that sort of ruined some elections for them and you're seeing the same thing happen on the left now that's uh, what happened with hillary clinton it's probably what's going to happen with biden is that there's going to be a far left contingent that just will not vote for whoever they put up because it wasn't their person um and as long as you have a two-party system, you're always going to have that middle ground win. Um, and that's sort of my whole thing in matrix. There isn't a two-party system. There's, there is a one party that markets itself differently to two different buying groups. And that's just sort of why we never get any change. And to be fair, some people think that that's a feature. Like they don't want systemic change because things tend to go all right for certain subsets. If you're part of that subset, eh, why change it? It seems to be going well, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Um, I just think once you get out of that mainstream, things are not going well for everybody and has been that way for 40 years.
1: I think the hard part is I think there's a lot of problems out there, and we can't – I'm not sure what the answers are to half of them. And then we can't – and once we even figure out what – like if if you put a bunch of smart people together and come up with a good answer, then you have to sell it to people who – to vote it in and I can't see any way to change make any actual change which then falls back onto your previous por- point of if nothing seems to be changing no matter how much us little people try then why bother
2: i don't know when you see polling of if you just do like up down polling of proposals that don't have like you do as much as you can to obfuscate like what um what direction or what party they come from, you're just like, hey, here's an idea, and you just up, down, pull people, Um, you tend to get really pretty heavily one-sided numbers in one direction or the other. So I think there is sort of a majority consensus on a lot of things. Um, So like just two things in general, like universal healthcare, there's like 73% of people want it. you, you know and if you're in a democracy and 73% of people want something how that's not happening doesn't make sense the other one is like gun control like it's almost exactly the opposite direction in not wanting gun control so you know but that one somehow works in democracy i, I just i don't understand how the system how things that if you divorce it from the party system and just sort of say here's an idea the things can pretty generally fall into a camp of where eh, there's a majority on one side or the other, like why those don't actually happen. Um, some things are dead in the center. Like, I mean, you look at abortion That tends to be pretty much 50, 50, no matter what. Um, so it's like, it, to me, that makes sense that that's not a thing that makes any movement ever happens on. Um, it's just a lot of arguing about, um, but there's, you know, just things like that. If, there is a will for things to change in one direction. Why the system doesn't allow for that?
1: One word: money.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> hence my viewpoints.
1: Right. Yeah, healthcare is one of those things of you hear some say that universal healthcare is great. It works. It'll benefit everybody. Then other people who say universal healthcare is, you know a complete tire fire in other in other countries and stuff where people who need stuff can't get stuff and no one can agree upon whether it's good or bad in places that have it and so no one uh, nobody here can agree upon trying to uh, trying it out
2: yeah it's the I I know what I have and I can deal with what I have. (laughs) Therefore I'd rather do that than try something that might not be what I have. You know, it's, uh, what are they, the devil, you know, right? (laughs) If if I know this works to this extent, I don't want to go any further, but I think, I think universal healthcare gets as high of numbers as it gets, not because it's the policy itself. I think it's just because it's a change. People know that like, it's not working the way it is. Like just change something. Um, you know, as, as much as Obamacare was touted as this big thing that was going to change, it didn't change a whole lot. Like, it, it basically didn't do much but make everybody's premiums go up. Um, so it's – I think people just want something to change on that front because, I mean, I supposedly have good insurance, and my insurance is just fucking terrible. Like, I hate it. I hate dealing with it. I hate going to the doctor. Like, I will not go to the doctor just because I don't want to deal with my insurance company because I know it's going to be a fight every time I go to the doctor.
1: Right. Right. And it's so damn expensive half the time that, I mean, you almost ask yourself why. Last year, I did
2: the I did the math because I'm a math guy, you know, I we spent 26% of our income just for healthcare, like more than a quarter of what we make goes to healthcare, which if you start looking at other countries, like it's drastically less, like I'm to the point where to take 15% of my money and. I'll pay it in taxes just to try something new uh, to see if, if if the cost goes down. Cool. I saved money. Um, if it doesn't, eh, okay, then I can go back to paying my 26%. But that's just to me, for one thing, that in last year we barely used our healthcare because our deductible was something like six grand. Um, so, like, it was if you were sick or you got hurt, it's just walk it off. Like, I don't have six grand to drop on taking you to the hospital.
1: Now, if you don't mind me asking, um, how much do you guys pay for your health care?
2: Um, last year, it was it was a racket because it was through my university, and their theirs is bad. Um, what we have now is through my wife's school district, and it's a little better, I think. For our family, we're paying, I want to say it's like three something a month, um, and our deductible is three grand, so it's it's much less, and that lets us do an HSA. So we put, I think, like a hundred bucks a month in the HSA. Um, so like our cost plummeted from that because we didn't have that avail- availability. So it's a little bit better. And, but I mean, we went to the emergency room once this year, and our deductible is pretty much gone. I think there's maybe like eight hundred dollars left on it. Um, but uh, the the problem we've had with HSAs in the past is is we can't put money in it fast enough that we use it. <laughs> so <laughs> we can never get like. I think ideally you would build up your deductible and then have that deductible sitting there a year behind. So then like, Oh, something happens. Here's the money. I don't have to worry about it. It's already saved. Um, but we wind up spending the money that we can put into the HSA as we're putting it in there because people get sick, people get hurt. Um, especially my kids, they're kind of clumsy. Uh, so we wind up going to the hospital uh, more than once a year.
1: Yeah. Our uh, family motto, which we need, Make it pressed for it is no hospital visits.
2: Oh yeah, that's a good year if you're like, Oh thank God we made it through. We didn't have to do that, but I last year was the first time that we didn't and that was there were times we probably should have and we didn't because we were just like, Let's just make it through this year. Let's just get through this year <laughs> and not have to do that.
1: Oh, I don't think any of us have made it through a, a full year without having to go to the hospital for something. But, you know, anytime somebody does, uh, does something, so we go, what, what what's the family rule? No hospital visits. All right, sir, I got to head back to work.
2: All right, catch you later, man.
1: Have a good one.
0: You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hekka Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show...